Good morning. Welcome to the final week of Delray Baptist Church's Foundations course on the Gospel at Work. Good morning. My name is Jerry Leung. I am uh, just a member here at Delray, and it's my privilege to come spend some time with you all and talk through and think through together how do we seek God's wisdom at work. So before we dive into the material, we'll start off with uh, a moment of prayer. Dear Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for a new day, a day we get to worship you on your day. We pray that you would help give us wisdom and guidance this morning, even as we consider wisdom in the context of work. We pray that you would bless our conversations, help us to dwell with your spirit in considering these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we've had now eight straight weeks of learning about what the gospel work means and we've had a lot of time to consider how work and being a Christian and, and the context of all these things fit in together. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time, hopefully not too much, just reviewing some of these things. So as we, so we start off by trying to ask the simple question and answer the simple question of what is work? Right? And you can see on your handout, we've got three major sections, what is work, what is wisdom, and how does wisdom apply at work? So first off, what is work? Well, work is what we do because God made us to do things, right? And so from the very beginning in Genesis, God made human beings in the image of himself, in the image of God and God created. And so as we hear kind of the creation story through the first six days and a seventh day of rest, what we see is that God made man and God made work for man at the very, very beginning, before sin came. And so I'm not gonna, we're not going to open our Bibles and go into the entirety of the story, but I think it's really helpful for you to take time eventually and go back to Genesis 1 and 2. And what you can see is that God created the garden and empowered Adam to go tend the garden and created Eve to be his helper, and then the they together work together to tend the garden. So work originally came from God, and it existed prior to sin and prior to the fall. Why is that important? Well, because work is inherently good. It is not inherently evil. Work is inherently a means and a method by which we can reflect our creator by doing things that are productive by creating something out of nothing, by bringing order out of chaos, right? Many of us have that sort of an experience, whether we are working in the office, whether we're working at home, especially if you're teaching little kids, right? You're bringing order out of chaos, right? And so work inherently is a good thing. However, like much of the rest of the world, the entry of sin into the story has corrupted work. And in fact, the promise of God is within that as well in Genesis, that through the fall, the curse of Adam is that work will become toilsome, that you will earn your bread through the sweat on, the, of the, of, on your brow and that thorns and thistles will come out of the ground, right? And so what does that mean? Well, we're no longer all farmers, right? But yet we experience this every day, which is that God promises work is going to be difficult. God promises work will be toilsome. And as a result, it is really natural for work to feel difficult and repetitive and sometimes meaningless, sometimes loathsome, sometimes fleeting, right? Those are varying degrees of extreme, but I'm sure all of you can relate to at least some portion of that at some point of your own experience. Additionally, the pressures of work oftentimes reveal the underlying sin in, in our hearts as well as those around us. And it breeds plenty of opportunities for these sins to rub against each other and create conflict. So if you're experiencing difficulties and, and pains in work, just know that that's pretty normal. And that's kind of what God intended. 
But what does work have to look like? Well, I wanted to take a moment and also open up the idea that work is not exclusive to a very specific context, right? So we each bring our own perspective to things, and so it's easy for us when we think about work to only think about where we're coming from, whether it's in the office or whether it's, you know, we have lots of ministry-oriented folks here, whether it's at the church. But in reality, the Lord created all of us to do everything in our days to glorify him, right? And so in 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And that's the point, is that work can exist in a multitude of settings. For some of you, your students, especially if you're really young, as you're growing through your elementary, middle, and high school days, your work is to study. Your work is to learn. Your work is to grow. That continues when you're in college. That continues in grad school. That is good, legitimate work. And so studying, in doing study, you're fulfilling God's mandate on your life. For some of us, we work in the marketplace. Pretty easy. Whether that means you're in an office or you're out working in a factory or in the fields or whatever that may be, that's good work. That's pretty easy to understand. For others, they work from home. And I don't just mean in a little home office clanking away on a computer, right? Making the home, being a, a parent, doesn't have to be a mom, could be a dad, working at home, building the home, uh, raising children, that's legitimate work. That's really, really important work as well, right? And so I'm going to use a lot of examples interchangeably uh, as we go through the rest of the talk this morning, uh, but know that they're all applicable to all aspects of this. And they're all equally valid because fundamentally what work means is for us to utilize all of the gifts, the talents, the capabilities that God has given us to glorify him in whatever context he has put us in. And that's going to be a really important point as we start peeling back the layers and trying to understand how do we see God's wisdom at work. Finally, our work here on this earth is only temporal. Rather, the real work that we do is for eternal things. So, what does this mean? Well, if we read through the New Testament and if we read through what Jesus teaches us, what we hear over and over again is Jesus trying to orient our hearts not towards the task immediately ahead of us or towards some kingdom building here on this earth, but trying to help take our eyes over the horizon and helping us to think about what that eternal kingdom that he has, is, is bringing forth, what that begins to look like. So, um, can someone turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 20? Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Actually sounds like a rap verse. <laughs> There's a couple that, uh, that, that fall into that, that vein. Um, and that's exactly what Jesus is trying to teach us, is that which we do here on earth is wonderful, it's meaningful, it has purpose, and, and, and it's useful. Right? But in all that we do, m keep an eye towards laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven because the, everything else here that we build on this earth does and will eventually wash away. In fact, there's a really <laughs> interesting, complex, but, but, but a very applicable parable in Luke 16 that describes exactly this. For the sake of time, I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but it's the parable of the dishonest manager. It's a little bit confusing because as a parable, it seems like 
Jesus may be advocating to do bad things like this dishonest manager who was caught by his master and about to be fired. And just as a quick recap, as after he's told he's about to lose his job, what he does is he begins to call in his master's debtors. And for each of them, he slashes their bill, one by half, another by a third. And he begins to utilize the last vestiges of his authority to make life easier for some of his master's debtors. And the quote from Jesus is that this man was preparing for what his life will be afterwards. And so should you, is that you should be building for that future. The entire parable is intended to talk about the fact that what we do here on this world, ideally, we ought to be utilizing it to prepare for the next. Right? And so that's actually the key part of all of this is that for all of us, no matter kind of how big or small our kingdom that we want to build here, what Jesus is trying to do is to pull us away from that and to say, no, 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 no. If you build your kingdom, it's going to be a waste of your time because it's all eventually going to wash away. It's going to disappear. It's going to collapse. Use your time. Use the space. Use everything I've given you to build for that future eternal kingdom. And why this really matters is that it's going to get to the crux of what we want to talk about today. Is that if you're a Christian, if you're a believer who's been, who, who, who has trusted in Jesus Christ to have died for your sins, then God has given you the Holy Spirit and God's plan for your life, especially in the context of work, is to make you more like him. And that what God wants in you and out of you through your work is not necessarily about building, writing new legislation, about winning the culture wars, about making SVP, about becoming the greatest evangelist in history, right? That many of those things are good unto themselves and God and following Jesus does not preclude any of those things. Right? But what God really wants in, in you, in your work, is to be changing and sanctifying you to become more like Jesus. And that is what leads us to this next section about what is wisdom. So normally I'll leave time for a Q&A, but we're a little short in time as a whole, and we're scrunching a lot of things into a short period of time, so we're going to defer all questions to the very final section before we get to prayer. So, brings us to what is wisdom? Well, wisdom is not just cleverness or intelligence. Wisdom is not just finding the best solution to a pressing problem, and it's not just whatever helps to get a major project complete or to close a deal to win a sale, or to win some other approval. Plenty of that exists, and you know, those are, there's nothing wrong with strategizing or problem solving. But let's be aware of walking down the path of worldly wise man from Pilgrim's Progress. The path of prosperity and avoiding pain or risk ultimately lead to disastrously building a permanent residence in this world rather than the next. True wisdom comes from the Lord. And true wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. Right? And that's Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The way the Bible talks about wisdom is that the wisdom looks like God's characteristics. Wisdom looks like following after God and reflecting God more clearly and better. Because as we started off in our conversation, we were made in the image of God. And so the more clearly we begin to reflect God's characteristics, the closer we get towards true wisdom. Can someone please read James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18? Who is 
wise and understanding among you. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the weakness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vital practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Wonderful. Thank you. So we see here that James talks about wisdom being pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, right? And we contrast that, that what is not wisdom are things that are earthly, unspiritual, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, right? That wisdom is not just finding kind of the, the perfect answer to a solution, but rather it is finding closer to conforming ourselves to the mind of Christ so that we can see things clearly and objectively and ultimately from God's perspective. Just like true humility is not endlessly saying how bad we are, but rather seeing ourselves clearly in the light of Christ's sacrifice. So true wisdom is to see situations and to see people clearly. We need to see our coworkers and our clients, our competitors, our bosses, our, our employees. We need to see those people more clearly, more fully. They each inhabit a certain role, a position. Yet they're also individual human beings. They're living, breathing, feeling creatures made in the image of God, whether they acknowledge him or not. They each have their own wants, their own needs. They have families, they have friends, they have triumphs and tragedies, they have fears and insecurities, they have virtues and weaknesses, and they have sin, and they need Jesus. And so in your work, the more that you can begin to see those around you in the light that God sees them, the closer you are going to get towards towards seeing wisely and, and, and grasping wisdom is to see those around you the way God sees them. It seems hard. How do we do that? Well, additional context of what is wisdom is that wisdom is faithful consistently is, is uh, sorry, let's get one. Wisdom is faithfulness to God rather than just merely earthly success. So, as I mentioned before, God's primary goal and purpose in your life is for your sanctification, if you're a Christian. That the Spirit, Holy Spirit, is incessantly working, whether you see it or not, in trying to draw out the things in you that are not like Jesus and pull them up and make it really uncomfortable and ultimately begin to change and wipe those things away and make you more like Jesus. And as a result, when we think about work, um, the most revolutionary thing is to realize that God cares more about you and your heart than he does about the exact outcome of your exact situation at work. And that can be a little bit of a hard thing to talk about or to think about. Um, certainly, I know it was hard for me to, uh, to, to grow into understanding that. That God is working to force you to grow in dependence on him and to become more like Jesus. And so what the Bible continues to, to talk about is to dwell in him to bear much fruit. So we're not going to read the entirety of John 15, but I recommend it because it's an excellent uh, visual image that John uses of capturing what it's like to be a Christian, which is the vine and the branches, right? That in John 15, where is it? Five, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing.
that ultimately what Jesus wants is not the end result of whatever mission that you your work is currently on at the moment something some of those things are good you may ultimately achieve some of them you may see the end of those but what he really wants what god really wants is to continue the good work that he's begun in you and saving you and bring that to fruition and part of that means for us to dwell with him as a part of all of that more consistently rather than dramatically this is point number three right that in the, the process of seeking wisdom for a context of work, the, the, the methodology of doing that is to dwell with God, is to spend time with Jesus more consistently than just waiting until some major disaster or a major decision is upon you. The reason why that's so important and um, and I'll, I'll say this kind of from my own life, I've got an example coming up, is that if you do not regularly spend time just dwelling with Jesus, then the Bible talks about the fact that your ears will not be ready to hear and that your heart will not be ready to receive, right? Over and over again, Jesus, in teaching the people, talks about those who have ears let him hear, right? And he gives these parables, like the parable of um, the seeds, of the soils, the parable of the soils, that ultimately the soils are imagery of people's hearts. And there are some hearts that are ready to receive, and there are some that are not. And so the more you time you spend with God, the easier it is for you to ultimately accept what are gonna be sometimes hard truths. waiting um, there are going to be hard truths godly wisdom comes from thoroughly and consistently saturating ourselves in god's word now that doesn't mean god doesn't answer when you're in the middle of a, a difficult situation you know i'll just say that personally i've had um a great a good practice is that as i've encountered difficult situations at work even in an office setting, I literally will stop and I have the benefit of an office, I'll close the office door and I'll just pray. I pray before having difficult conversations with employees, with competitive negotiations. I'll pray before I ever have to write a difficult email. You know, it's, it's, I, I find it to be uh, one of the easiest ways to help reorient my mind and my heart during the day towards everything that we've just talked about. Otherwise, honestly, it's really easy to forget all of these things. You know, it's really easy to slip into being a functional atheist, right? And so stopping, whether it's the beginning, right, before you even walk into the, the office, the school, whatever the case may be, you know, stopping and praying in your car before you kind of enter, or in the midst of the day when you're about to do something that's hard, that requires, you know, tact. <laughs> just literally just stop and pray and ask for grace, ask for God's help through it. Um, I personally found that to be uh, very, very helpful. And so I'm going to stop and hear and give just a personal example of a whole couple of these different things uh, just to help bring it to be a little bit more real. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, you know, this is applicable in a lot of different contexts. My personal particular context is in the marketplace. I work in an office. I'm in finance. I'm in senior management now. Um, and so I don't mean to share these thinking that this is the only way. So for me, you know, um, I've been a Christian for quite a while. And just to highlight the difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom, you know, I think for many years, uh, especially earlier years of my life, I think I mixed those two together. You know, spend time with, I would spend time with other Christians and, you know, we'd swap stories and people would present, you know, situations and, um, yeah, like, it'd be relatively easy for me to diagnose a problem and offer, okay, you need to go 
talk to XYZ person, apologize for this, do that, do that, da 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 da, and like boom. But that's actually not godly wisdom, right? Where I took a lot of the cleverness and substituted myself for the Holy Spirit, right? Where, yeah, maybe that is the right answer. Maybe that was the kind of the right way to chart through or to solve a particular problem. But the key part I was missing in all of that was I, was, I, I left out, I left out God. I left out that, I left out what God was doing in that person's life, right? Like, why are we in this situation? What is the spirit trying to reveal in you? What are the things that Jesus might be trying to expose within your own heart? What is he trying to teach you? What is he trying to show you around? And, you know, I would just make things like very, very tactical, very worldly. Uh, and, and thinking that that was spiritual or thinking that that was alone sufficient. It's not. World, worldly wisdom can help guide you through individual situations, but godly wisdom ultimately is what will help take you and grow you and sanctify you, make you more like Jesus over time. Secondarily, another quick example is, of this is how this applies is... Um, we talked a decent a bit about seeking wisdom from God being to see things more clearly from God's point of view. Um, right now, I, I, at my job, um, I mean, I have a number of people who uh, I manage today, um, relatively new to it. I've been at the, this company for the last six months or so. And so what, what I've found is that <laughs> as you walk into a new situation, you begin to digest kind of people's personalities, you begin to kind of assess the, the situation and figure out um, what, which way is up and down and left and right. Um, and sometimes with new eyes, you get a chance to see, and fresh eyes, you get a chance to see what works and what doesn't work a little bit more clearly. Um, and I will just share that kind of the last six months of my personal uh, journey at work feels very, very much like being um, a counselor. <laughs> like, like being at church and being like a community group leader of some sort. Um, because as I pray to see people from God's point of view, like all these things just jump off the page, right? Why is there this conflict? Well, there's this insecurity, right? This guy here has been overlooked he does all the work, but he's been overlooked for the last however many years and he's kind of at the end of his rope, right? He needs reassurance. He needs recognition, right? Why is there, you know, this broken thing? Well, you have this other conflict because this person's pride and this person, particular person's arrogance um, just comes out, right? And they need some instruction. They need probably to be pulled back a little bit, right? Why is that other situation happening? Well, this person over here tends to be a quiet, it tends to be quieter. They have good ideas, but they don't have a chance to express themselves because they're not given a, a platform. They're not given a voice, right? So over and over and over again, like in my daily work, the more I get to see individuals and see people and situations from God's point of view, the better I can help solve these things, right? Where just like the Bible talks about, right? We're trying to encourage the weak. We're trying to rebuke the proud. We're trying to lift up those around us. And in doing so, we actually end up helping to create some of that order out of chaos. And we actually help ameliorate bad situations by amazingly just trying to follow Jesus and be a servant leader and do all the things that Jesus would do. I can tell you, you know, I've had a lot of work experience. I can, I can tell you that that's actually really effective. It's an actually really effective way to lead, even just on a practical level. So there's a couple of personal examples um, and we can get into a bit more of that later during Q&A. All right, so we've spent a bit of time talking about what is wisdom 
shared a couple personal examples about how it applies. Now, let's expand upon this to take that wisdom to apply in more settings than just my own. So how does wisdom apply at work? Well, because, as we mentioned, there's so many different ways in which we can do work, and because we've talked about that God is mostly interested in your heart, it's not, it, it, it would be impossible for me to list out every single way. And so, rather, I want to spend some time creating context for us. Let's, give our, let's, let's focus on a couple of core principles, and then we're going to highlight what freedoms we have as Christians. And then we'll talk a little bit about practical help. So core principles. As we're thinking about all these things, about wisdom and about how does it apply, as we mentioned earlier, the, the key things we want to focus on is not necessarily the job itself, it's not necessarily the problem itself, but rather what is our vertical relationship with God. And so the first set of questions we want to do consider is how are we honoring the Lord in what we're doing and how can we work excellently to do so, right? So it, unless you're in a specific set of um, professions that may be explicitly sinful, in general, like your, your work can be glorifying to God. And so the key now is with putting your hat on of whatever it is that you do specifically, right? How can you do that best for the glory of God and not for just yourself? That we have dual identities, right? We have our identity in our job and our role, and we also have our identity as Christians. So as we're then trying to think through, you know, specific situations, right? We can begin to ask some basic questions. In this specific situation, is there something that is explicitly sin or not sin, right? If I'm trying to make decision points between A, B, and C, is any specific pathway explicitly sinful, right? It's a good basic thing to do. If the answer is no, then okay, that is that those remain possibilities, right? After that becomes entirely then about evaluating trade-offs. So is something smart to do, right? Everything comes with a cost. And so between each of these choices, between your situations, right, what are you giving up? What is the cost associated with then making said decision? In doing so, are we advancing that mission or not? Right? That as Christians, one of the our key roles is to serve our masters well wherever we are right and to and to be excellent what we do so are we actually advancing the mission broadly speaking right rather than just our individual kind of career situations right and then how does it help how does it hurt the people around me how does it hurt myself how about the people in kind of concentric circles kind of going around right and eventually, as you begin to work through some of these things, you know, it'll become a little bit clearer about what are you to do in your particular situation. These are just general core principles, right, to, to work through with really at the heart of it being, what is God trying to teach me? What is, what is, what is God doing in this situation? How can I see things more clearly? How can I see people more clearly from God's perspective? Those are pretty vague, the core principles I gave you, and, I, and part of it is intentionally so, right? Because once we kind of solve through the questions of is something sin or not sin, and once we start solving through is something really obviously good versus obviously bad, right? Then we really do enter into this expansive gray space of trade-offs and of, um, of what is good to do, wise to do. Well, Jerry, isn't that confusing? Then what, do you, what should I do? Well, that's why I want to talk about the second point, which is freedoms. We, once we satisfy and settle 
those other core principles, we actually have a great deal of freedom. We have a great deal of freedom of choice, we have freedom of preference, we have freedom to, to, to fail. Right? Because the fact is, as we mentioned before, Jesus really cares about you. He cares about your heart, he cares about the people around you. So in a sense, there are a lot of decisions at work that are not entirely, um, how do I say this? They're not wholly make or break in the grander spiritual sense. You are free to choose the color of the carpet. You're free to choose, you know, whether or not you go make that particular sale or not. You're free to choose all sorts of things in the context of your work. And the real freedom comes from knowing that Christ has completed the greatest work of all. So what does that mean? It means you can't fail. We have this freedom that, you know, mistakes you make, it, Christ has actually solved the biggest mistake of all, right? Which is our sins. So as a result, it's going to be okay. <laughs> I know it doesn't feel like that's always the case when you're going through the middle of a difficult set of decisions, right? But just know that through all the ups, through all the downs, that it's actually going to be okay, that Jesus is still in charge. You're not going to fall outside of his will. You're not going to, um, you're not going to um, do something that Christ is not going to be, God is not going to be able to um, fix, right? There's a great degree of freedom. The, the real core of it now becomes how do I go, how did I go about making that decision? And did I begin to trust and lean into Jesus more as I was going through it? Thirdly, let's talk a little bit about practical help. These things are not easy. They're, 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 it, it's, it's hard to discern. It's hard to, to um, cling on to this. It's hard to make this real and practical in our day-to-day -day lives. So the three suggestions, the three um, means of practical help, we're gonna, use, we're, gonna, we're gonna say are all very similar to what you'll hear in the rest of Sunday service. So the first is dwell in scripture. The second is dwell with the spirit. And the third is dwell with community. So as we mentioned before, truism comes from being of the mind of God, right? And the only way we can do that is by dwelling in scripture, spending time in God's word. You know, it seems a little repetitive to say, hey, read your Bible. But at, at the end of the day, it actually is the source of life. Um, don't read your Bible thinking, I need to find the exact solution to my problem in the Bible. It doesn't really work like that. But what I can tell you from personal experience is that the more you just dwell in the Bible, the more the, the Spirit begins to bring verses to mind that do then begin to apply this situation. It won't tell you what deal point to negotiate for, but it will tell you hey, this thing happened with Joshua, for example, right? Or this thing happened with David, for example, right? Doesn't that sound similar, right? How should you feel? What happened to these people who trusted God, right? The second is dwell with the spirit. You gotta pray, yeah. A lot of prayer is not going to result in magically your situation completely transforming. You know, God is not a... He's not a genie, not a genie in a lamp. However, when we pray, God does miraculous things. Oftentimes that's within our own hearts, right? That's what Jesus promises us. Asking you shall receive, right? ask in my name. And so God is working. There are things that we cannot imagine because we cannot always trace God's hand that in prayer, the Lord does amazing work happy to talk about more personal examples later if you desire. And third is dwell with community. At the end of the day, 
the journey is not meant to be alone. That Jesus gave us to one another as Christians, as members of a body of Christ, as part of a church, for the purpose of being able to encourage one, one another and help walk together through difficult situations with one another. And so would strongly recommend you can you strive to develop relationships with people around you here at this church you know, with both people who are of your same age group and same demographic type and people who are of vastly different kinds you'd be really amazed at what different perspectives can do to help you see things more clearly and help you um, rest in the promises of Jesus and so it's easy for us to gravitate towards people who are very similar to us, but in my many years here at Del Rey, I'll tell you that you know some of my best relationships have come from, and the best advice I've received have come from um, relationships with people who are quite different. Regardless, the 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 mission of finishing our walk, finishing our journey, all the way to the celestial city, to heaven, is one that is meant to be together. And so you're going to get the most bang for your buck. You're going to get the most effectiveness in this journey by talking with others, working together, asking for help, asking for prayer, and um, not trying to live all of this alone. So we've come to the end of the actual um, outline prior to jumping into questions for reflection let me pause right here and uh, take any questions from what we had just discussed when you were talking about uh, the second point of how wisdom applies at work and seeing people clearly mm. and how that uh, leads into conversations about essentially about hard issues mm. and how to deal with those how do you navigate through those conversations without crossing those lines of professionals at work that kind of limit how deep we go or how explicitly we can share our faith? Hmm. That's a really good question. So seeing somebody more clearly doesn't mean that you have to tell them everything that you're seeing, right? And so in a sense, what you're trying to do is to be empathetic to what you can see as their underlying situation. And in many ways, um, finding points of connection that are outside of your explicit kind of task at hand um, are really helpful ways of building a human connection. Um, and I think this is true for all sorts of work, which is that um, at the end of the day, it's really about people. So whether you work in a service job or whether you work in, you know, a like corporate white collar job, like it really is all about people. Um, and so people are most effective when they feel uh, a connection either to the company, to the mission or to their, their team, you know, so being able to kind of connect with your coworkers on an individual level uh, in the proper context that requires a, a bit of experience of how to, how to do that uh, becomes, I think is really, really helpful. So what I would say is, you know, you don't need to explicitly say everything that comes to your mind. All right, so you don't have to like confront them about, you know, some obvious thing, or there are better ways, there are ways to be more tactful about how to handle that. But the first starting point comes with seeing them as a human being and not just like an obstacle for you to accomplish what you're trying to achieve. Great question. Anyone else? Yes. I guess you go a little bit deeper into the Joshua or example. Yes. Great. Um, so I'll use the Joshua example for an, a personal one at that. So I had a number of really hard decisions um, I had to make at work uh, about a year and a half ago, ultimately leading to um, changing jobs. I'd been at a particular company for a very, very long time, decade plus, 
and it was very hard to leave and you know I'd been wrestling through prayer and wrestling you know doing a lot of the stuff like wrestling through it with other people with other brothers here at this church um, I'd spent a lot of time in the word during that phase just just, just reading a lot of scripture um, and so felt pretty confident that making a certain change, making a certain move was the right thing to do. I felt fairly confident that that's where God was leading me. Um, and then a couple months later, once I did make the change, did make the move, uh, <laughs> I was just immediately, I was surprised by the amount of difficulties <laughs> that landed there. And so as frequently happens when you kind of make big decisions, right? We tend to evaluate the quality of the decision, whether it was right or wrong, by like circumstances, you know? And so once like I encountered some of these difficulties, I was like, oh my gosh, I totally messed up, right? <laughs> like God did not bless this decision because look at, you know, what's going on. Um, and I had to take a step back and, you know, pray about it, talk to others about it. And actually what the, the Spirit showed me during that time is, yeah, you got to be careful about that, right? That, you know, we don't, you can't judge whether or not that decision was right based on how easy things are for you afterwards, right? That difficulties are not a sign of failures or mistakes, just like, you know, smooth sailing is not a sign of God's favor. And in fact, what kind of the, the scripture that the Spirit led me to was that, you know, in the book of Joshua, you see that the book of Joshua is really interesting, right? It's like, in some ways, like the pinnacle, the peak of the Old Testament from the Israelite point of view, right? Where they're actually more or less consistently faithful to the Lord throughout the entire book. And they just experience like victory after victory after victory. However, if you kind of like trace back a little bit, <laughs> they're entering the promised land the second time because the first time they saw giants there, they got scared and they disobeyed and they ran away. And as punishment, they had wandered the desert for 40 years until a whole generation died off. And now the second gen younger second generation come in, right? And you know what the spirit kind of revealed to me at that time was, yeah, guess what? The giants are still there, <laughs> right? Like they're no smaller by the time you enter the book of Joshua than they were like, you know, 10 chapters ago when the spies spied out the land and, got, and the rest of the Israelites ran away, right? So even though the book of Joshua doesn't like specifically talk nearly as much about how scary these, you know, people are and how impossible it is to win. In fact, it's like relatively smooth sailing. It's seemingly, right? Um, in actuality, like they literally encountered all the exact same difficulties as they did back at the end of Exodus, right? And so the fact is that if we run into difficulty, if we run into, you know, the, the, these like giants, these, you know, huge walls of Jericho, like this, that, and the other, like that's not a sign that you did the wrong thing or you're in the wrong place. Right. In many cases, and this requires some discernment and, and, and like we talked about wisdom, um, it's probably in many cases God trying to do work in you and you're, you're, you're supposed to actually face these and ultimately overcome them. So that, that was the it's very specific Joshua example. Yeah. Yeah, please. I came in like Jerry, so I um, the, the third bullet point which I think I missed the first what is work section, but how do we, I think it's the third one where ultimately work for eternal things. This is actually like, could you yeah. shed light on how do we work hard at our jobs here yeah. while on earth, but yeah. our ultimate goal is heaven. Yeah. Where, you know, that, that is our, our ultimate. So it's, yeah. it's working hard here on earth is, is great, yeah. but it's like, shouldn't it be like our life? Yeah. So I don't know if that's what we touched on. No, 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 it's great. It's really, really great. So, um, what I was trying to touch on with that, and, and you're, I think you're hitting on the head, is that, you know, the kingdoms we build here on Earth will fade. And so there's a tendency, um, as Americans certainly, 
right, to put a great deal of stock in kind of getting to the X, accomplishing the mission, right? Like getting it done, right? By any means necessary. And, you know, from God's perspective, like that's really silly because that's actually not the point, you know? Like you pass that piece of legislation decade, like it gets overturned, right? You close that deal and you get an amazing year of profits and like, you know, COVID comes and wipes out a decade worth of, you know, earnings, right? Like, you know, so there's a lot of things that just don't, they don't last here on earth, right? No matter kind of what kingdom you build, you know, um, it's not permanent. And so it's less so about saying that, you know, um, what we, it's in fact, it's the opposite of saying what we do in our workday is not meaningful. It's actually the opposite. It's saying what we do in our workday is most meaningful, not because of the immediate earthly accomplishment of it, but because we're work, if we work unto the Lord, we're building that eternal kingdom, right? If we are working in faith and exercising the gifts and the talents that God has given us, then we are, and we're blessing others, you know, um, with actually either the, the underlying work itself or with the money that it earns, right? We get to bless others. Like that is building God's kingdom, right? So, you know, for me, I'm actually quite passionate about this because, you know, um, I, I, I frequently for the purposes of, you know, my own life, think about the fra- that uh, quote, you know, I think it, I'm pretty sure it's like cherries of fire that when I run, I feel God, right? Where he is a runner and he's been blessed with the ta- these talents of being a, he's an excellent runner, he's an Olympic level runner. And he says like, when I run, I feel God, right? And so um, I think the Lord has blessed each of us with lots of different gifts, lots of different talents. We're all different, right? And if we are using and exercising the things that he's given us specifically, you know, to their utmost, my utmost for his highest, right? For God's glory, like you're gonna feel that and you're gonna really delight in it. You know, so there are things that I'm good at that if that I try to u- utilize for God's glory, you know, even if it's in the context of kind of like day-to-day work and, you know, running a company or so, um, I really enjoy that, you know, and then as I do it in faith, you know, I'm building for that eternal kingdom.